Welcome back to the Birders Guide, everybody. How are we all going? Hope your last 48 hours since um, my Nate Swick interview came out has been fantastic. Um, here in the mid-north of SA, we have had some proper 2020 weather. About a week ago, it was 30 degrees and howling a gale. And today, just north of us, it is snowing. So that's good. It was incredibly cold this morning when I got up. Actually, no, it wasn't incredibly cold. It was... It was cold this morning, haven't been that cold in a while, but that's okay, we will push through. So I hope it's been good where you've been. Um, I would like to say, before we get too far into it, a huge shout out to Swarovski Optic for coming on board and supporting the podcast. Uh, they sent me a pair of their new NL Pures, and while I don't have any sort of agreement with them that requires me to sell their product or give them a shout out at all i do uh, really appreciate it and bruce richardson who most people would know on facebook or australians would know on facebook and who i'm going to get on the show shortly anyway well not today but bruce if you're listening i haven't forgotten we will do that episode shortly um he said in a comment and i think it is very applicable to the nl pures do not look through them unless you can afford them I have used mine for about a week now, and then I was somewhere in a different car with only my backup pair, which are $1,500 by a very reputable brand that I won't mention on here, and they were dismal. <laughs> I can't explain it any other way. There is no way on earth I can go back to using them now. The NL Pures, if you can afford them, get them. If you can't, don't borrow them from anybody else. Now, in terms of birding this week, uh, I was going to hit up Puauco Conservation Park, which is uh, just a bit south of Yunta. Uh, I'd never heard of it, to be honest. I just had a spare day and was looking at Google Maps, and there was a yellow or a green spot south of Yunta. So I did a bit of Googling and could find absolutely zero information on it, and that's the sort of place that I'm quite keen to go and check out. But uh, after getting in touch with the ranger... The park ranger uh, seems that there's no public access and all of the roads in and out of there are owned by private station owners and uh, he suggested that perhaps not going would be a good idea. So anyway, uh, maybe another day. So I ended up going to Pandapa Conservation Park, which is a bit further south, uh, just east of Tarawi. Uh, it was quite good. I really like that sort of country. I'm a big fan of... You know, sheep station country, open, bit of mallee, bit of um, blue bush and salt bush and that sort of stuff. So I had a really good day. I uh, did about a 7K walk. Everything was fairly quiet. I mean, it was very dry. Uh, there wasn't really much greenery going on apart from the eucalypts. But I did manage to still find 20 species in that 7 kilometers. I don't know how long I spent walking. I spent a lot of time not walking and looking at birds, so maybe three three and a half hours really the only things to note there was a pair of uh, grey currawong heap of splendid fairy wrens there was some chestnut rumped thornbills that were feeding their young and then I think the only parrots I saw were ringnecks yeah quite possibly and then I found a white-eared honey eater right on top of the hill range um, that was the only bird up there which is about usual so yes um, I would recommend going it's a fair drive from anyone who lives around Adelaide but if you've got a day of nothing to do and you want to go check out somewhere that there's 
you know not many people have been i would uh, recommend it now i'd just like to give a shout out here to jade from melbourne who got in touch um following my interview with miles ram a couple of weeks ago or i don't know maybe a month ago now um she is a 14 year old birder from melbourne and to be honest i did not think many young people would listen to this podcast so thank you jade and thank you miles and uh, any other 14 year olds out there or basically anybody under the age of 20 great to have you as a listener and i really appreciate it and uh, keep going birding is it's a fantastic hobby and if you're lucky like some of us it's a fantastic job too now the only other thing i was on oh no, two more things i was going to mention here there is a lesser yellow legs i think hang on let me have a quick look it's on the facebook australian twitches page if anyone is interested here we go yes a lesser yellow legs at ash island near newcastle in new south wales if you're in that area go and have a look there has not been much around to twitch these days and um, now we're finally sort of getting to the point where a lot of people can travel unless you're in victoria and then sucks to be you but new south wales ash island newcastle lesser yellow legs go find it now my last part before we get into today's conversation is I've had a number of people contact me about who I should have on the show and a fairly significant portion of those have said they would like me to chat to Sean Dooley. So everyone would probably know Sean. Uh, He has done all sorts of stuff, but people would like to hear about his books. Um, He wrote The Big Twitch, I think, and he wrote a to Z, what's that? Anorax to Zitting Sisticula. I think that's what they're called. I happen to own both of those books, but I uh, can't think off the top of my head. So I have sent Sean an email, but haven't heard back. But Sean, if you're listening, get in touch. People would love to hear from you. I'd love to chat to you. That'd be great. Now, without any further ado, let's get into today's conversation. You're listening to The Birder's Guide with Michael Greenshirts. So on the show today, we have got Lindsay Fisher, who I'm going to guess would be known or most people in Australia would have heard of Lindsay. Uh, her and her husband, Keith, used to own Kingfisher Park for 10 years near Gelatin. And I got in touch with her about or four or five weeks ago asking if she'd be interested in coming on the show and they were in the middle of a pretty substantial Queensland road trip and they got back at the end of last week so we had a chat on Monday and so this is it enjoy Lindsay welcome to the show it's fantastic to have you on thank you for inviting me it's good to be here now for those of you who don't know but I'm going to say that that's probably a, a small number of people you and Keith are probably best known outside of your own personal birding circles for having owned uh, Kingfisher Park. Um, did you grow up in that area around Gelatin there? Oh no, can't you tell? I'm a pom, as <laughs> many bird watchers are in Australia. <laughs> you scratch the surface, there are an awful lot of poms around. No, I, I was brought up near Manchester um, uh, in a leafy suburbia situation with lots of birds, but 
didn't really do much any bird watching apart from feeding them in the garden as you do in England and um, used to try and work out any strange birds that came in. We had the Reader's Digest book of British birds and a very elderly pair of binoculars and my mother and I would try and work out what was what but it wasn't anything serious. It was just uh, an interest in natural history, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a soft spot for English birds still? Um, well, we were going to be there in May and June. I was looking forward to seeing them, but <laughs> last time we went home, it was August because we it was 2015. We'd just retired from the lodge and we'd promised to help out on the Australian stand at the British Bird Fair, which is mid-August. And August is probably one of the worst months for birding in Britain because the birds have finished breeding, they're not calling, there are all the leaves on the trees so you can't even see the little buggers. Um, so that's why they have the bird fairs and the weather was pretty awful. Um, so I decided next time we go back will be May, June, which wasn't to be as it turned out, but maybe in a couple of years time if the world settles down again, I'll go and check out British birds. Yeah, I like them. They're yeah. challenging. Hmm. Yeah, I've uh, I've never been to England, but I did a little bit of birding in Norway, and um, oh. everything's a lot. It's a lot less um, colourful than Australian birds. I would. That's I would true. Say. Very yeah. true. And, and quieter. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and like you, I was supposed to be in the United States in July this year, and mm. not to be. But that's okay. Mm. We were going. We wanted to go somewhere on the way, and we had a big plan, and we were going to the Galapagos. Oh, so nice. that was very sad to have to cancel that. Yeah. No, maybe <laughs> but next time. everybody you talk to, they've all got things that have been cancelled. So, yeah. But aren't we lucky being in Australia? We've got so many yeah. birds here to go and look at. So. That's right. We have no shortage of good ones to see. Not at all. So you grew up in Manchester, um, mm -hmm. but obviously, eventually, you made your way out to Australia. What and... Or, when was that and what was the reason you made that trip? Um, it was 1973 and in those days you could just come out as long as you had a British passport and you needed a chest x-ray and that was it. And a year later I became naturalised and got a kangaroo stamped on my forehead and I came out with two girlfriends and just because we thought we'd go and do a bit of travelling and we had some mm. friends living in Sydney so we came to Sydney. And about just earlier that year, Keith had come out with some friends and eventually we used to go parties, sort of Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, party party, as you do in that age. And mm. um, we met Keith and his friends and yeah, so eventually got together. Uh, but he's from London, I'm from Manchester and there's no way we would have met in England. <laughs> so how long did it take from uh, when you guys first met? I assume you met in 73 when you first came out? Um, yeah, late 73. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did you hit it off immediately? Not really, no. I didn't particularly like him, um, but that's always <laughs> a good basis for a relationship, I reckon. So, no, it could have about 18 months, and then we got together, and, um, yeah, that's a long time ago. Um, and we decided we'd go around Australia, and we bought a combi van, um, yeah, which was good fun. And we... I think Keith used to do parachuting and I did a couple of jumps as well, but he was quite serious about it. And we went away Christmas 75, it would have been, down to Labatouche, Melbourne, 
for a parachute get together and in our combi van um, we drove up Mount Borbor and we saw parrots flying along and we sort of both were a bit intrigued with parrots because living in the centre of Sydney I mean we didn't really see birds yeah. and we thought it would be interesting to work out what they were so when we set off on our big trip we bought ourselves a bird book which in those days was a two volume slater and as we travelled north we sort of worked it out as we went along and um but we only only looked at the small birds the passerines we didn't look at the non-passerines they were mm -hmm. oh, no too yeah we leave those for later <laughs> um until we got to Mackay and we saw this beautiful bird who couldn't work out what it was and eventually looked in the other book and it was a rainbow beater so after that we started looking in both the books and yeah it was um, just learning as we went along and we had had some interesting sightings. Um, we sort of mentioned in our diary that when we drove north of Cairns along the coast road, we had an albatross. Right, I'm not sure what that was. <laughs> <laughs> and then lots of little kingfishers on the wires, which would obviously be forest kingfishers. But mm. um, yeah, it was sort of, you know, in those days there was nowhere apart from a bird book that was it you yeah sort of couldn't connect with other people so yeah anyway yeah. it was good and so was the would you say the rainbow beater was your you know the bird which really kicked off your uh interest or did you not really have a particular moment no it was something that sticks in my mind the other one other ones i particularly remember was um Conway National Park in the Whitsundays we did the walk around there and we saw our first mistletoe bird and then we saw what was then called a crested hawk, Pacific buzzer and mm. they, they both stuck in my mind as well so you just sort of you sort of see a bird and you say oh, I've seen it in the bird book and then you have to go and find it and yeah, in, in a way it was really good teaching ourselves because it made us work harder I guess yep. <laughs> so it was, it was fun and then we went to Darwin for two weeks to visit friends and stayed for 11 years. What, what attracted you to Darwin? Uh, well, just to visit. We were going around Australia and we, we had friends living there and it was the end of September and we thought, oh, I'll just stay for a few weeks and see what it's like. And second night we were there, we went to a barbecue and we both got jobs. I mean, it was only 15 months after the cyclone, so mm. there were plenty of jobs to be had. Um, I got a job, I was, I'd worked in libraries, I got a job in the what was then the Darwin Community College, which is now Charles Darwin University, and Keith was an engineer, um, so he, he, he was working in a prawn, prawn processing plant doing maintenance, so I thought, oh, I'll stay for a while and make some money, and yeah. And then the Field Naturalist Club started up the next year, so we got involved in that, and met other bird watchers. And, that's how it all started off, really. So yeah, so did you start? Um, you started your trip in Sydney, and you only got to Darwin. Did you like? Was that Sydney? Yeah, we left in Darwin? May. We left in May and got to Darwin in late September. So that was it, oh, yeah. and we yeah. never did complete our lap around Australia. <laughs> <laughs> have you Have you completed it since? Like you, you guys do a lot of travelling. Um, we've done it in bits. We've still not done the Nullarbor, and we haven't gone further north. Than Geraldton, up to we've up to Port Hagland, that bit. So we've got two bits of the coast to do, um, and lots of places to revisit. So, yeah, South Australia next year maybe. <laughs> yeah, nice. And so, 
uh, you were talking about the Northern Territory Naturalist Club uh, was mm. where you started meeting other bird watchers. Uh, mm-hmm. Were you were you involved in that, or were you on the committee? Was there a committee? Yep, we certainly were. Um, Keith was secretary, or I was treasurer. I can't remember. We both were on it. So I remember the very first meeting we went to, um, and the talk was by uh, Johnny Aspergs, who's a good birder, and he was explaining the difference between a whistling kite and a black. Uh, sorry, a whistling kite and a um, black kite. That stuck in my mind. And that one of the very first field trips we went on, we saw a grass owl in the distance, but we saw a grass owl. So, yeah, those are the three birds that I remember particularly when we first sort of got involved. But we were very lucky because in those days, I think the average age in Darwin was about 14. So all the people that worked for like the Conservation Commission or Parks and Wildlife and DPI, they're all in their 20s, 30s, maybe 40s if you're really old. And it was really vibrant. It was um, no old people at all. They'd all gone down south. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a great community. And we just learned so much from so many knowledgeable people. It was, um, it was really, really good. Yeah, nice. So Kingfisher Park is not in Darwin. So... <laughs> did you at some point, where, how did you make the move out of Darwin? Um, well, I think we just realised that although we loved Darwin, we needed a change and climate's always a bit challenging up there. Um, and we, we'd driven over in 86, we'd driven over to um, up to Cape York, but to Iron Range and back to Darwin. And so we'd spent time in Cairns and thought it was really lovely. If anything was, the very first time we went to Cairns, we went on to the Esplanade and saw the mudflats. And we thought, mm-hmm. oh, isn't that awful, horrible mudflats? <laughs> second time we went, mudflats, waders, and we sort of totally changed our tune. Yeah. So, yeah, Cairns was very attractive for birds. And we had friends in Darwin who had moved there recently, and and they decided they wanted to set up a camera store because there wasn't really a decent camera store in Cairns. Mm-hmm. And they asked us if we'd join them. So we said, well, we've never worked in a shop or anything, but we know lots about cameras. So we went over there and opened a camera store with them. It was quite funny. But um, that was that was an interesting experience. And, um, yeah, so we're, we made our home in Cairns and became involved in bird watching there. Um, the RAOU, as it was then, um, formed a North Queensland branch, uh, Birders of North Queensland, and we became involved in that. Again, committee positions and made lots of friends, and that was really good. And, of course, we ended up going to visit Kingfisher Park Birdwatchers Lodge up in Gelatin, which is about mm. an hour and a half's drive from Cairns. Um, and we did bird binding on Mount Lewis, and would stay at the lodge and loved it there. Um, so fast forward to 2005, we wanted a change. We felt we needed to do something different and Cairns was getting big. Um, so we ended up buying the business um, and moving up there, taking over. Mm. Nice. Before we get into <laughs> Kingfisher Park, I'd just double back a little bit. What was it like? I guess obviously cameras have changed a lot from 2020 from uh, what do you say late 80s. What mm. 
you know did you guys do developing in your shop as well or did you just sell camera equipment or we sell camera equipment and binoculars in fact we were especially specializing in binoculars because we knew about them and we had a street front shop so people would come and look through binoculars and take them outside and look and really work out what they wanted so that worked out well and as for the cameras i mean we were selling um OM2s, OM4s, Olympus, um, Pentax K1000s, early 90s. Um, and then eventually they uh, they put a um, processing lab in there as well. Um, Keith got out when digital came around, decided it was all going to change too much. So, um, but it was it was good. It was like a toy shop, and I didn't. I only worked there for a couple of years, and I ended up working in a computer store. So that was another com, that was another toy shop. So we had it covered. <laughs> but um, Keith, um, meanwhile, found out about there was a new uh, diploma of ornithology being offered at Charleston University, and he thought that would be really interesting. So he applied for that, and I think it was a two-year course. He had to drive down to Bathurst twice a year, which is quite a long way from Cairns. And he did the diploma, and um, then he asked about the... Oh, hang on, no, it was certificate, then the diploma, that's right. Anyway, he asked about the diploma, just out of curiosity, and they enrolled him without him asking, so he ended up doing that as well. <laughs> so um, that was a learning curve for both of us. <laughs> Um, and meanwhile, he'd been asked to do bird hazard surveys at the Cairns Airport, which was sort of part-time job, basically getting paid for bird watching, driving around the perimeter of the airport. Um, so he did that for about 10 years, I think, just in uh, while he was working in the camera store because it was early morning, late afternoon. He sort of fit, fitted in during the week. Um, so he enjoyed that. That was good. Um yeah, and then Kingfisher Park loomed up, so we had a big change. Mm. So you you lived in Darwin and you lived in Cairns. How do two uh, English people go with Northern Australian weather? It's I, it's not the Ooh, same as England. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's certainly different from Manchester, that's for sure. <laughs> in fact, I'm still getting... I've spent most of my life in the tropics now, but I still find it sometimes it's a little bit hard to take when it's sort of the high humidity and heat and but uh, generally no it's good you survive it's okay and it's so green and and the birds well birds are pretty special up here so no it's good in fact there's probably nowhere that's got a perfect climate all the year round so um and where we are in gelatin we're up at just over 400 meters so it's cooler than the coast um which is better because the coast can get very hot mm. um yeah so it's quite an equitable climate actually hmm. mm. yeah i i won't lie i hate hot weather hate it with a passion <laughs> but i don't mind it if i'm there for like a week or two and i'm birding and there's a purpose to it but i could i could never li- mm-hmm. I'd, be happy, I'd happily live in tasmania but um, mm. unfortunately, my wife loves hot weather and hates cold weather. So, oh, really? mm. uh, <laughs> currently, we we're both happy half the year. And that that works mm. out all right. Um, I think ideally you'd have a somewhere um, for winter and somewhere for summer. That would yeah. be ideal, wouldn't it? Ideally, mm. yes. We'd probably we'd <laughs> probably stay in uh, Broome during winter and then 
somewhere else for summer, but yeah, that's all right. You'd got to do what you got to do. So you you bought Kingfisher Park. What? Well, you said you wanted a change. Why? Why did you choose to change to owning a birding lodge? Um, the challenge, I suppose. As I say, we used to go there a lot, and we knew Ron and Suzanne, the owners, and um, he, they were trying to sell, and we sort of thought, well, you know, mid-50s, we do with a change, it would be a bit of a challenge, and we thought, well, why not? So we just decided, and one of these big life-changing decisions. Um, and we took over in the middle of August, which is the height of the season, and we had a British tour group, British birding tour group came through two days after we took over and I was doing the catering. I'd never done catering before. We'd never done a, we'd never run any accommodation. We'd never done anything. Uh, so it was sort of just jump in and see how we went and um, yeah, it was fine. Um, learning, a very steep learning curve but it was, it was okay. Yeah, we, we took to it and enjoyed it. I don't imagine you'll remember me because it was a long time ago and I'm sure you have plenty of people come through but uh, my cousin and I, we stayed there oh, I don't even know, 2009 I'm going to say mm. um, and we went on one of your night walks and, and looked ah. around your stuff like that so <laughs> um, in your time there, have you seen anything particularly spectacularly rare or vagranty turned up on the grounds i mean you must have a lot of different species just within your i don't actually know how big the land block is there but within it your was area. 12 um uh 12 acres 12 yep. acres 12 yep. hectares no yeah oh whatever Five, <laughs> well, <than> that. <laughs> 12, some, 12 something well the most um probably the most exciting was it was over a christmas period and a girl came up to the counter in the middle of the day and she said, Japanese people down at the creek, they've just seen the yellow-billed kingfisher. And I sort of rolled my eyes and thought, oh, yeah. And then the Japanese couple came up with their camera with this beautiful photo on the branch overlooking over the creek, a yellow-billed kingfisher, which, as people probably will know, is a non-migratory kingfisher that lives in the Iron Range at the top of Cape York. What was it doing in Gelatin? Um, anyway, of course, we went down the creek. We didn't see it again, but we heard it call. We spent the next day and a half sort of hanging around, hoping to see it. It was never seen again, but we got the photo. And it was mm. totally genuine. Some people have said, oh, it was probably when they were up in the Iron Range they got the photo. But no, it was absolutely, definitely the most unusual bird we had there, mm. which was brilliant. Mm. Made yeah. a good story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I had I had someone um, message. So we're based uh, just north of Adelaide. I had someone message me yesterday saying they'd seen a little ringed plover on their dam in about half Ooh. an hour from us. And I was like, mm, not a hundred percent sure. So I just uh, I gave them a ring, and they're like, oh well, we didn't see it with binoculars, and it was a fair way away, and it was just a pair of them running around the dam. But there's a little a little dot in our field guide that says they do show up here. I was like, perhaps not. Probably black-fronted dotrel, I think. But okay. anyway, you always. But it's that, that excitement when someone says something like. That. Oh, I know. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, please be true. <laughs> that will be fantastic. You were twitching. <laughs> yeah, 
but the other story we relate is um, a guy who was there with his friend who was a really really good birder he said and they were down in our orchard area and he came back and said oh we've just seen um, ground cuckoo shrikes up in the top of the tree a whole heap of them and he said oh I don't think so I think I think they might have just been white-bellied cuckoo shrikes um, ground cuckoo shrikes are never found around the coast they're out further west and they actually spend most of their time on the ground <laughs> and he could not convince this guy because his friend told him mm-hmm. his, his top birding friend told him it's like, anyway Keith gave up in the end but I mean ground cuckoo shrikes we just spent a month driving around western Queensland and didn't see them they're a fabulous bird I'd love to have them in gelatin but no so yeah sometimes people are sort of pretty insistent when they've decided they've seen something but generally people are good <laughs> so what was your bird list by the time you guys left you were there for 10 years I think um, yeah what was your bird list like for the lodge for the lodge um, ooh, probably around ooh, I'm not sure about over 200 I think um, where we are now which is only 6 kilometres down the road we've got about 160 on our list and we don't actually back on to the Mount Lewis range so there's quite a lot of altitudinal migrants that you'd get at the lodge because they back onto the mountain that we don't get here so yeah probably around 200 I'd say there were an awful lot of people looking so yeah did you have any favorite species well it'd have to be the buff-breasted paradise kingfisher you can't go past that um, which the lodge is named after they migrate from New Guinea and arrive in Gelatin any time from mid-October till sometimes as late as mid-November. They come back to the same area every year and they nest in um, termite mounds on the ground. And, and we used to have about, usually about at least eight pairs within the grounds. And and they're the most beautiful bird with their long mm. white tail and just fabulous. Yeah. And um, so they were there until April, sometimes early May. So people, for people to see them, they had to come in the hotter time of the year. <laughs> but that, yeah, they're certainly the the best bird, and we have them on our property where we live now, which is really nice. In fact, in a month's time, they could be back again. So when they arrive, you know the wet season's coming. <laughs> yeah. In- uh, interestingly, we stopped uh, the second time I've been to Kingfisher Park. We stopped. Uh, I well, we were on a family holiday, and uh, I convinced the rest of my family to stop at Kingfisher <laughs> Park just so I could see. I think it was January, just so I could see if I could find this Kingfisher, mm-hmm. and the the mosquitoes were next oh. level. And uh, no one else got out of the car. They refused to <laughs> get out of the car. And I walked around for probably 25 minutes, got eaten alive by mosquitoes, didn't see a, anything, and then oh, no. got back in the car and there was one sitting on the on the <laughs> sign out the front, Kingfisher Park on the front sign. So oh, I did get it in good. the end, which is yeah. always good. Well, sometimes it's good when it takes you a while to see a bird. You appreciate it more. So they are definitely a special one. So... Did you have any? Did you have any uh, quite interesting guests while you were there? Did you have anyone famous or anyone that stands out in your memory? 
couple of, well, it was interesting actually, because quite often people would just walk in and it wasn't until you actually talked to them, maybe people from America or somewhere, you think, well, oh, they sound interesting. And you sort of Google them and find out they're a professor of something or, mm. you know, they're a really interesting background, very knowledgeable. Um, but as for famous people, probably the person that um, I was impressed with the most, we had Paul Ehrlich's day. He was the gentleman who brought population control to the world's attention back in the was it in the um, late 60s and he's an amazing guy everyone's very impressed when I say Paul Ehrlich came and stayed (laughs) Um, another nice story was um, a British birder called Chris Goody um, was writing a book about pitters he was was trying to see all the pitters of the world which are mainly in sort of our area New Guinea, Asia, Philippines and a few in Africa and he was looking for the most simple one of all, the noisy pitter. And it was September. And for some reason, the noisy pitters had all just disappeared. We we hadn't heard one for months and he'd been in Cairns, he'd been everywhere. So I didn't know who he was. He came to the counter late afternoon saying, oh, have you got any noisy pitters? And I said, no, we haven't. I'm sorry. Have you got any platypus? I said, yes. Sent him down to the creek and he saw platypus and he was thrilled to bits and he wrote it up in his book. Um, and the book is called The Jewel Hunter. And it is one of these lovely, funny British humour uh, accounts of his adventures finding all these pitters. And we actually met him at the British Bird Fair and he's a delightful gentleman. Um, but uh, yeah, it was our claim to fame. We had platypus. And to be honest, a lot of people, when you say, OK, what birds are you looking for? They give you birds and then say, have you got platypus? And we, we had pretty regular platypus in our creek, which was pretty, it was, it was an honorary bird. Mm, so, yeah. um, other people, I suppose we did, I don't, no one sort of stuck in my mind too much. Because usually if you were sort of, oh, I know, we almost had Bill Bailey come. He's oh, a yeah. bird watcher. And he was coming to Cairns and his manager actually contacted us saying, Bill's having a bit of um, R&R while he's in Cairns. And... I think he'd be really interested to come up to your bird lodge and have do some birding. So, yes, that'd be brilliant. So we emailed to and fro and then it got cancelled. He's going out on the reef instead. I was really quite upset because I was really looking forward to meeting Bill Bailey. So never mind. <laughs> yeah, that, that would, that's a bit unfortunate. I've, I'd really like to get him on this show. So, Bill, if you happen to be listening... Get, send me an email. We'll, we'll chat. That'd be yeah, good. He was, he's a, certainly an amazing person. <laughs> so... But what, what we really liked was um, we had a lot of university people, especially in the sort of wet season months, January, February, March, April, when yep. they'd come and do research and be going up Mount Lewis in the monsoon. Uh, and so we had a lot of people from James Cook University, from Griffith University in Brisbane. Um, yeah, so we, we had people doing all sorts of research. It wasn't just birds. Um, we had moths, people, one girl, she um, was misnetting at Mount Lewis for moths, and I think she got about 1,100 species, cool. and then she came back another time <laughs> and got more. I mean, amazing what there is. Um, another lady doing um, research on bandicoots, and our favourite one was someone doing research on slime mould. <laughs> <laughs> But obviously lots of people doing bird research as well. So that was really interesting 
um, communicating with university people. Uh, we really enjoyed that. You've since sold the lodge and uh, off doing other stuff. What do you what do you keep yourselves busy with these days? Um, right. Well, we spent ten years at the lodge. It was a five year plan, but it took us a while to actually sell. But that's fine. And um, so we'd manage short holidays, usually in in January, in February, March. In fact, we came down to South Australia in February. It was very hot. Um, mm-hmm. We need to do it in the winter another time. <laughs> so we hadn't had many holidays at all. So we sort of made up for lost time and done quite a lot of travelling. Um, not this year though. Um, so we've we've done the Christmas Isle in Cocos Keeling. We've done Torres Strait trip with Richard Baxter. That was brilliant. Uh, we've been to Lord Howe. We've been to Norfolk, Tasmania, doing islands. Um, and New Zealand, another island. Um, yeah, that's so we've done that. And we, we bought a camper trailer, so we've been um, over to Broome and Darwin, Queensland, went to Birdsville and um, Marie and William Creek last year, so all birding. Mm. So it's been great. We've been making up for lost time. It's great being retired. <laughs> <laughs> all the time you need. I ask, um, I ask this question of everyone that I have on the show. Do you have anywhere? Well, we'll start with we'll start with this one. Do you have a, a favourite birding spot that should be on everyone's bucket list? You've been everywhere, so the the answer is yes or definitely not. Um, well, I mean, Gelatin is probably as good as it gets, to be honest. And uh, we've got Mount Lewis and everything. I mean, it's just an amazing area to live. But somewhere else, I mean, I, we just loved going on the Christmas Island Cocos Keeling because there's so much variety there and the two different habitats. It, that was amazing. Um, yeah. And just outback Queensland, if you get the combination of rain about a month ago, so you've got water and flowers and the birds are all breeding, you can't get better than that, really. Yep. This last trip we've just had, it was extremely dry and the birds were very thin on the ground. But now, hey, they've just had a heap of rain go through, so it'll all change again. So Australia is an amazing place. There's so many places to go and so much variety in the bird life. It's um, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Mm. What about, um? do you have anywhere, so I'll give you an example. For me, probably a little place that I really, I really liked um was Chinaman Creek Dam, I think it's called, out near Georgetown. And I, I don't really know why I liked it so much, but um, we just stopped off there when we were driving past and it was just fantastic. Uh, we had all sorts of finches and uh, jacanas and egrets and herons and all sorts. Do you have anywhere that stands out just as like a small little place that's, you know, it's not that well known mm. that people should visit? A small little place, um, uh, Werribee came to mind, actually. We did go around there once. That was brilliant, but everyone says Werribee, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that classifies <laughs> um, as a small place. Oh, I don't know. There's so many places. Um, and there's so many places you go to and you think, oh, I must go back there. And more, quite often you never quite get back to them. But, yeah, this, are you spot for choice? I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a special place. Do you have any? Do you have any uh, favourite? This is my last question. Do you have any um, favourite birding memories 
over over your years? Any that stand out? Anything that stands out? Let me have a think. Um, probably when we, we went to Tasmania in 2007, I think it was. It's our only visit there. It's on the list to revisit. And we were very organised and had booked a flight down to the southwest to see the orange-bellied parrot. Yep. And the weekend we arrived, and of course the weather was fine and beautiful in Hobart, but down in the southwest it was it was pouring with rain and windy, so the flight was cancelled. So we managed to do it the day before we left, and it was the most glorious weather. And we got to see one orange-bellied parrot, because by then it was the um, beginning of March. Mm. And that was a really special thing, combined with the flight, flying over the middle of Tasmania and on the coast. It was just brilliant. Um, yeah, that's one really special memory. The ones I would like to forget are the Pelagics. I'm not good on Pelagics. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> not, a, not an ocean fairer? No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, we all have our things that we like and don't like. It's <laughs> part of the fun of it all. Well, uh, Lindsay, thanks for coming on the show. It's uh, It's been fantastic talking to you, and I'm sure people have found it interesting. All the best for you and Keith with your continued retirement and travels, and hopefully all of our borders open up again and maybe we'll see each other in the field sometime, somewhere. Thanks, Michael. It's been really fun. So thanks everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you get out and about, get some birding in over the next fortnight. I'm not 100% sure who's going to be on the show next time. I've got a few people to chase up who we've sort of said we would do shows uh, and then that's about where we've left it. So tune in in a fortnight's time and listen to someone else about Australian birding. And until then, happy birding.